welcome to Fragmented Minds, a podcast that looks at mental health from the patient's chair. I'm the Xanity System. And I'm Celine. In this episode, we reflect on our podcasting so far. Before we begin this episode, we have to offer the following disclaimer. This show is for educational purposes and is primarily our opinions. It is not intended as a substitute for medical advice. If you have been upset by or believe you or a loved one have a mental illness as a result of these discussions, please seek advice from your doctor or therapist. So, so it's currently mid-September. We've been... So Fragmented Minds has been on the internet for nearly two months now. How have you been finding the experience overall? Uh, there's a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Generally, it's been like pretty rewarding, especially when we're on track. I definitely like when you first asked us about doing a podcast, we like, I, if I remember correctly, we took like a month or two to think about it and consider if it was something we could like emotionally handle or not and um i still feel like it's something we can do even though we're going through our seasonal depression period because the fall is coming yeah and like just all the positive reception and feedback from other people has been really rewarding because kind of like without consistent feedback about what I could do better and what's going well and how this is helpful and what people take from it and value from it. I don't really know where to go forward without that kind of feedback. So that's been really helpful. Yeah. One of your friends has been especially helpful for help um, discussing feedback and we've had a little bit online as well. You know, I have, I did put out a call to action not too long ago saying, you know, if anyone wants to give us some feedback, we'd really appreciate it. But no bites as such yet (laughs) no not yet and that's fine we have a very small audience and everybody's busy in their lives not everybody has time for podcasts to listen to so well the thing about podcasts is unlike say youtube videos is the fact you can just kind of schedule them in when you don't have need a visual mediums like when you're doing chores or when you're commuting or all this other stuff. Not that as many people are commuting right now, thanks to COVID, but yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the thing is like, uh, some people I knew that were really into podcasts aren't so much, but we still have, um, a pretty high accomplishment. At least one of your friends, uh, that's been in the podcasting or streaming community said that our amount of viewership and, plays for our episodes are actually pretty good for one month to two months of being on air so i have been helping out at the game and watch podcast but yeah we were at just shy of 50 in a month and i got told no that's really good for um a podcast that's come out nowhere I think we also did a lot of work beforehand to to kind of let people know that we were going to be a podcast. Like we set up our Twitter, I think a month or two before we actually had launch and we're letting people know what we were planning on. It was three months. Um, I registered it on the 1st of April and we launched on the 21st of July. (laughs) Okay, yeah. So 
definitely the pre-hype I think could have helped, but also like because of my interactions with certain communities and your interactions with certain communities, I think that's helped as well because we've been able to share our podcast with communities that our podcast actually relates to. Mm. Definitely. Because um, we did spend a lot of time kind of with the DID community on Twitter. And, you know, sometimes I still, I do get a little upset when they kind of blanket singlets in one location. Because like, you know, the majority of specialists who spend their lives studying these things don't have the conditions themselves, you know, not. And that doesn't necessarily, they mean, it just means they don't have the lived experience, but they can you know, they can extrapolate data from people who do and can do as good a job at their at the research and the therapies that work for different for some people with the condition. Well, I think on social media there's like an issue with overgeneralization and like there's only so many characters you can use to express a thought, even if people mm. could fully express their thoughts. And it's a lot of trauma survivors. So they're definitely yeah. going to have some us versus them mentality because they've been treated that way throughout their life. Yeah. It is, it is an unfortunate experience. And I'm sorry that you feel so ostracized at times because of that, because you can have very valuable input, but you're also going to be, it's going to be easier for you to miss the mark as a singlet. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the friends you introduced me to when we were working on things, she kind of put forward that, you know, even though I don't have full blown alters or anything like that, I'm, I'm not very far off the mark. I get I get just about everything else but having another voice in my head if that makes any sense and yeah yeah dissociation is a very broad spectrum of experiences yeah definitely definitely it's like you can get over consumed by things sometimes and sometimes you just totally space out and it's just like oh brother <laughs> speaking of like the experiences of dissociating and stuff to segue kind of onto um the script i'm kind of wondering when we first started recording we talked in a couple of episodes about you going to get um diagnosed for yeah. your dissociative symptoms and treatment how has that gone so well to be specific i went into therapy just um, about three years ago because i'd made the steps to cut off three quarters of my birth family and the thing to understand is I'd moved internationally three times, one, twice of which were in my memory as a child. So if you think family is your only constant in your life, try literally having them the only constant in your life when, you know, you've lost friend groups because you're in a pre-social media age and you've moved across you've, uh, countries multiple times, you know. That was ripping a lot of wounds at the time. And got referred into a psychotherapy program via my GP and the initial assessor said, asked me about spacing out. And I said, yeah, I do space out quite a bit to be fair. I, you know, I try to stimulate myself to try and stop me spacing out too much at, at, when I'm upset about it. And that doesn't always work to be fair. No, just bullying yourself up to just focus better. doesn't always quite work. Yeah. <laughs> And that's when he said, you know, that's called depersonalization. You, 
Um, we should focus on your anxiety and depression right now because those are your biggest risks. Because I was, um, I wasn't so much thinking about how to go about it, but I was feeling like I was a failure as a person because I I made this choice to cut off my family. And bear in mind, this was something I've been trying to avoid for a very long time. Right. And yeah, so that happened, and I said, okay. You need to focus on your anxiety and depression right now. Then you need to work on this, these, these things because they are this on this condition. And I looked some up into it a bit more, and it kind of brought some past memories into perspective. In particular, the first memory I have was almost—it's almost like I had amnesia at three years old. I didn't know who my mother was. I didn't understand that my name was my name. It was all this other stuff, and yeah. And it brought a lot of that into perspective. And just after the Easter holidays, this this calendar year, I got I went into a program of recovery courses, and I did one which was um, tied to mindfulness, which was about covering concepts like um, values, acceptance, and kindness. Okay. And I've been through that. The plan was for me to kind of do some work on that and then do CBT, but CBT I have postponed until such a time that we have moved kind of the next step in our lives in terms of homes and that because residential stability can be so beneficial to the therapeutic process so like if you have a stable setting I can understand you putting off the therapy until then if you don't need it right now yeah and I think it's just the other thing is you don't want to be kind of ripped up from your therapist too soon like in a part way through, so um Uh oh, so the move's gonna be far enough away that you'll probably have to change therapists. Yeah, I think so. So there's that element to it. And I've done like I've got some stuff for like self esteem, which I still got from the last sessions I had, so I've got that to kind of use if I'm really feeling low. Okay. Uh, and one thing I actually do is because I know when I'm depressed, I find it very, very difficult to remember the good things. When I remember them, I write them down. That's a good idea. We actually have a specific journal for it. We call it our gratitude journal. And when we're really struggling, we'll write down the positives, like any little positive, like I had water today or I enjoyed a candy bar or <laughs> the breeze was nice. Just anything little. And that does kind of really help us take really help take us out of the darker aspects of our depression sometimes yeah i find that like my memory can kind of string things together quite easily so the the course i did best in, in terms of marks for my second year at uni was the course where i could um see connections to the models they were using in comparison to my job um i had that summer so that was really helpful for me for sure so i'm wondering like with what Bit of mindfulness you've been able to do prior to like the move and everything has that helped any of your dissociative uh symptoms and, and in what ways well i think the biggest thing is so i do have some emotional instability as well as everything else so if i find that i go too far into panic mode um i can fly off the handle either in like sadness or anger so Having the chance to kind of understand this and sit down with Apollo about it has been immeasurable in terms of how help 
it has helped Apollo kind of be more aware that he understands now that underneath that is like I'm probably freaking out and he doesn't always succeed especially if if he's emotional himself but he does try to be more catering to that fact which has been much more helpful because I find possibly because of my background my symptoms show up more at home than they do at work because I don't have the same emotional baggage with the jobs I've had compared to that like I think some of the stuff that goes on at home because of my mindset, I think some people I work with wouldn't believe. It was just because it would feel so counter to the person I am at work. A great example of this was my mother was really good at insisting that I'm lazy because I'm not always doing what she wants when she wants. Yeah. And they, I had a bad fight with her. I came to work and I didn't want to go home straight away. <laughs> Yeah, you know, bear in mind, this was in my early 20s. Like, I wasn't a little kid or I wasn't like a teenager in that kind of phase. Well, maybe mentally I was because dissociation does seem to kind of mess with your brain development. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember my HR manager was like, you are the last person I would ever call lazy, which was like validating but painful at the same time, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I struggle with... Um some core beliefs I have about myself where I don't feel deserving of the compliment or I've internalized the belief about myself so deeply that when somebody gives me a compliment that's contrary to that, I feel like I've deceived them in some way and that hurts me. I think it was just more the fact that when your parents say something about you that everyone else says is false, it kind of hurts because you you think to yourself, why would your own parent lie to you? And, or what is it that they're not seeing that other people do? Because you eventually get to a point where, you, yeah, there's a really good adage to kind of remember if, if one person is the problem, they're the problem. If everyone's the problem, maybe you're the problem. And I was starting to see that with, with my mother, especially. It's like, what is it about you that makes you so contrary to everyone else? And she would constantly say it's something to do with me, but I'm like, I got to the point where I was starting to smell BS, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, when you have such consistent feedback from other people in your life, but this one person in your life keeps saying this thing, Mm. it it definitely makes you wonder, like, do they have a point because of our closeness to each other, or are they making a point because our closeness to each other is creating, like, this toxic dynamic where we can't really be supportive and encouraging to each other yeah i one thing i really don't like is with my mother is just how much it's very because you mentioned um when we were talking earlier you mentioned like us versus them thinking yeah i felt like the way my mother behaved the us was the parents and the them was the children when it came to the family yeah and I don't like that. While there should be like different levels of involvement based on age, I think it's really important for kids to see that family is a team. So it actually made me really mad that I'd get this lecture about how lazy I was and what a terrible child I was because I was doing X, Y, and Z. And then she would demand more chores. And then while we're doing the chores, you want to guess what she's doing? Sitting on her backside and watching TV. (laughs) yeah actually growing up i know that in previous episodes i've talked about like the um 
very mixed dynamic I have with my mom. But one thing that we had that I'm pretty grateful for, because a lot of people didn't have this in my generation, is just we had a weekly routine of cleaning together. We would put on wonderful music to listen to, and we would take turns because I was shorter. I would get the bottom half of the windows while she got the top half, or you know, I would organize this section of the house while she was organizing that section of the house. And it was a good time. And, you know, when the ADHD symptoms and dissociative symptoms were really kicking in, I definitely got called lazy and disrespectful for not keeping up on my chores. But I definitely saw my mom doing stuff around the house. You know, it it wasn't like, okay, everybody in the house cleans around me while I kick my feet up. It was, I did have a very, the household is a team upbringing. And it, it does feel better to have like the team dynamic in a household for sure. So I can't imagine having the emotional abandonment that you had from your mother and also like just the subservience. I feel like that's so damaging to so many kids I've seen being a subservient role to their parent. Mm. Like finding a sense of self for those kids is, has like in my anecdotal experience, it's been very difficult for them. Yeah. It's, it's really weird because like, uh, I'm not going to pretend like the kids did everything around the house. There were chores that, you know, everyone had their own chores. It was just the fact that when it came to the three of us, my sibs and I, it was always dictated. Whereas I think it was a little, it was, it felt a little more ele- like democratic between my parents. You got to kind of be a bit more diplomatic when the kids start getting older. Cause otherwise they're just going to be like, well, you only care about yourself. Yeah, you got to model the teamwork and communication with the kids and not adjusting to their new ages can be detrimental. But also, I understand it's really difficult, like when your kid hits a new developmental stage. And if you haven't studied psychology yourself, you probably don't always understand what's going on. Yeah. So do you think the mindfulness work you've done has given you like a deeper reflection on these in, uh, interactions in childhood and how they're affecting you like now in your home life and why you're dealing with like emotional swings and numbness? Um, I, d- I think so. Like I understand now that being called a liar when I'm trying to tell the truth and, and I would suppose feeling like I'm being verbally attacked and when I'm just trying to do the best I can, those things get have me freak out in one way or another. And I think understanding that helps that that I am I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm at the stage where in the middle of those moments I'm quite ready to kind of get them out quickly. But uh, not all the time, at least. I know that when I've talked about family situations, I've been a lot more emotional in the past now than I am these days. Okay. If I do get emotional about them, it doesn't last as long as it used to, I have found. And does it feel like a healing process to you? Because I know sometimes for our system that happens, but we're actually repressing it more than actually. It's, I would say it's cathartic. So I'm leaning towards it being more of a healing process. But I suppose without the sense of adjudication that you have, it's, I may not necessarily know right away. Well, I think if you're feeling catharsis, then that's probably a good sign that it's it's a healing. Uh, what was I saying? I know that a lot of people 
you said you started with how um, if I was feeling catharsis, it's probably a sign that the things are improving. Yeah, because a lot of people who start getting into mindfulness and going through the the basic therapies to address their core issues, like tackling where the depression and anxiety comes from and stuff like that, they definitely feel their emotions less intensely. Like the the intensity and the duration goes down because the therapy is being effective. Our system has such whatever going on, maybe from disorganized attachment and complex trauma, just being so thorough that we get a lot of like backlash responses to even doing like the healthy things and going on a healthy progress like the mindfulness for us made emotions more intense so we had to learn other forms of mindfulness and other grounding techniques to be mindful without it becoming overly intense overwhelming and triggering in its own right so like i'm really happy for you that this is going so smoothly and that like that i think that feeling of catharsis from it is the good sign like we don't always get that feeling and that's when we get suspicious that we're repressing it instead that's good to know yeah the other thing was maybe it shows that because i've processed the things that were more emotionally stressful that i've started to remember other things that kind of were buried by them so i I had a memory which was from when we were living in Ireland and we moved out of Ireland when I was six and a half, which was tied around this toy which molded Play-Doh. And I just remembered like feeling that I didn't quite know how to express it at the time, I don't think, but like I seem to remember like thinking that that was how my mother saw me. Like I was something to mold into this shape that she wanted, but I wasn't fitting somehow. I didn't like that. Yeah, it's interesting. I've, and maybe that's kind of um, cause like I say sometimes, I taking Apollo's surname after we got married has been a way to kind of take the edge off. But sometimes I do find my name is something that I don't feel connected to. Yeah, and I think that's largely because I feel it belongs to the me that my mother wanted, not the me that I am. Do you think you would ever, if you found a name you genuinely resonated with, that you would legally change it to that? Quite possibly. I don't, I, I wouldn't use the derivative, but, um, or like a common ver- name to kind of make it make sense. But most of the time, especially when he's being affectionate, Apollo doesn't call it me by it anyway. He kind of gives. He uses like pet names and endearing yeah. terms, right? Yeah. I think that helps in a way. So like. <laughs> I think if he only really calls me my forename if something is serious or like we're in a kind of talking to strangers because okay. it's kind of one of those it's not you know he doesn't call me anything NSFW or anything like that it's just the fact that it would you know when you're talking to third parties that aren't aren't in your friend circle it just it's just a logical thing to do and you know he's very he can be Almost too logically driven sometimes. <laughs> Can't we all? Yeah. Um, okay, so in these past two months, we've gone through a lot, and Apollo has still been an amazing emotional support for you, whether or not mm. he's like doing these things consciously or unconsciously because of how it affects you. Yeah. I think it's so wonderful that you do have at least Apollo for emotional support because he can 
you know, after talking about it and everything, see through you being distressed and mm. focus on calming you rather than like addressing the distress itself, which is a major de-escalation tactic not a lot of people understand. Mm. So I'm I'm so glad you have that because like when we're angry or anxious, it's usually because we're feeling threatened or unsafe in some way or we're triggered. And all we really need to know is that we're in a safe environment and we're accepted and we're not going to be attacked or punished. Yeah, definitely. And that's the thing. It's just like, you know, I think that's, it is hard sometimes. And I mean, I'm thankful to that, you know, since moving out, I've, I'd say there's only one job I've had, which I could say was, didn't feel like an entirely like supportive environment. And that was the one I kind of rage quit <laughs> without anywhere to go. And then I, I was so exhausted from like working for three people to make up for some lazy bones that were among the four, the group, the team that I slept until like noon for the first week. It was just that bad. That sounds exhausting. Have you had any similar reactions to working the podcast? Like, is there anything that's been so exhausting, like either dealing with people with DID who could quit on an instant about meeting up for session or just trying to keep all of the information together or keep up with editing? Like, have you ever had like kind of like an exhausted moment where you had to sleep through like what you had to do for the podcast? thing is a slog man <laughs> <laughs> like i spent like a typical episode i'll be editing for six hours like come on <laughs> we've got rogues episode on the back burner ready to go and that one i'm um, i still spent like you got it started but i still spent four hours to, to finishing it like yeah Yes, the rogue episode. And for people who might not understand what we mean, just off the cuff, um, whether you've listened to prior episodes or watched our social media, we have an alter in the Xanity system named Rogue, who is our lead protector. And so we have a curveball episode coming up where Rogue ended up out and we couldn't do the original episode we were going to do. So we interviewed him about being a protector and what life is like as an alter in the system. And that's what we're talking about and that will be coming out. Me and Celine shared editing duty on that. And editing is definitely a lot of work. Yeah, especially since I'm so picky on cutting out all the filler noises and whatnot. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes with the editing, like uh, the audience might not be aware, but sometimes we have to edit and cut out like these huge gaps between our words of what we're saying or our responses to each other and make it sound like a more natural flow of conversation. So there's just a lot of nitpicking that goes on to try to create the sound that, that will sound good to everybody over the internet and whatever streaming devices they're using. Yep. <laughs> uh, I haven't even mastered all the technical stuff yet. Most of the editing is kind of... I try to do what I can before it's even recorded so it's like the quality's okay and then the rest is like all the trimming work and it's not always easy especially because like I live in a one-bedroom flat and it's a small one at that and that's why you know I get Apollo interrupting sometimes and 
Right. I'm lucky enough that I live in a, in a two bedroom apartment, same as a flat, if you're able to keep up with the UK versus US terminology. And, and so my roommate can just chill in their room with their door closed, or I can have my door closed and they can play their games and their music and whatever. But if it was just a one bedroom apartment, it would be much, much harder to manage that. Yeah, the other thing is, um, because of the design of the flat, it's a basement conversion, so the only real airflow is like through the front door and the windows in the front. So, yeah, if we shut the bedroom door, it's it's going to turn into a greenhouse, essentially. <laughs> yeah, so, like, as, like, kind of like a catch-up episode of, like, what's been going on in the background and why we've slowed down the episodes a bit, Celine needs a better environment and has the opportunity to find one, but it's going to take a while to settle into that new place. So. <laughs> well, let, let's be a bit clearer of what's going on here. I might have been being diplomatic. Don't worry about it. So, so we want to move quite far. Yeah, we're talking about like halfway across the country kind of level stuff. And. No one in their right mind, unless absolutely forced, because like maybe their job or something like that, is going to move into somewhere without seeing it first. And for those who don't know, Apollo is on the spectrum. He can get a little neurotic about things. And the more important something is, the harder it is to get things done with him sometimes. Our system has a horrible time moving because of our neuroses. Now, he has some dental work to finish off and. I think he said he's got like five different visits to do over and he's we're trying to get those done over the next couple of months and we're trying to get as much stowed away in that time so we have less work to do later and so I don't I'm not tripping over all his boxes of retro games and all this other stuff because I'm getting fed up with that. You gotta keep on to the good stuff. You could use it later. <laughs> That's why you won't let it go, but like we're running out of room here. Yeah, I totally understand the logic. I've just been moving so frequently from apartment to apartment that, like, I've had to learn to let stuff go. <laughs> anyway, the plan is to put basically 99% of our stuff into storage. Yeah. And then go Airbnb hopping to find our next home. So how are you going to address, like, doing podcasting stuff while doing, like, the Airbnb hopping and we do need a good Wi-Fi for Apollo's job because he is fully remote now. And we, if need be, we will look at getting a mobile hotspot. My microphone, so I have a Samsung QTE microphone. It, w it has a desk stand, so I can just make sure that there's a good table for sitting with my laptop and my microphone and using that. Um, my headphones will be a must, of course. And then for gaming stuff, well, I've got a nice new shiny machine now. So, well, I say new, I've had it for a couple of months, but. That's new. <laughs> <laughs> it's got the good stuff under the hood. So I can, if we decide to do any like streaming stuff for funsies, I've got, there's that. <laughs> I'm also thinking next summer that I'll have a Twitch and streaming set up, mm. depending on how my personal life goes. Yeah. Um, so that's something to probably look forward to from us is that if you like to 
watch Twitch streams of different games. Uh, Celine and I are, are dabbling into that a little bit. It's it's slow going for sure. But, um, you know, with keeping up on the podcast, this is kind of a secondary thing. And when our system is able to start streaming, our plan is to only do games that have psychological elements, things that we can get really deep into talking to in the chat with other players, with other viewers. Yeah. So. Sort of like um, our, our friends watch parties, right? Yes, our friends such as... Oh gosh, you can probably pronounce it better than I can. The Somnambulist system, or it's kind of the one we've been speaking to most, I believe. Yes. They have a running Mad the Mad Media podcast, and... Shout out! And Xanity here is actually going to be in an episode discussing Sybil. Yes, I did watch and review and take notes on the 1976 Sybil featuring Sally Fields, which is about three hours long. And then I also did the same thing with the 2007 Sybil. I'm sorry, I don't remember that particular actress's name at the moment. That'll be something for people to look forward to once you have that proper interview going. So, oh, Maurice to get this up quickly. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, Sam's probably been the one who's been in the DID community, I would say, has been cheering us on the most. Now, I think that talk, discussing that's a good segue to discussing like the various reception we've had for, about the podcast, either people we know personally, people online. I've told people about the podcast. I don't know how many of that's translated into listeners, but people have taken quite a lot of interest in like this DID and how that works because they're like, oh, what's yeah how did that happen and stuff like that and because i'm working in schools and these people are working with children so they kind of have this duty of safeguarding here in the uk um we don't quite have the same level of mandatory reporting that the usa does it's probably one of the few things i would say they've got right but um if you suspect anything that might be putting the child at risk you have to talk to the safeguarding lead who will be in We'll conduct a plan to kind of go into these discussions and to assess the risks and if need be get the social services and the police involved. So there is a whole thing in place. It's, can it be better? Sure. But yeah, so there's that. So because of the fact that DID is rooted in childhood trauma, people in schools in the UK who I've spoken to about the podcast have taken a bit of interest in DID specifically, and, and to a degree, dissociation in general. People are born with different susceptibilities to trauma. Mm -hmm. So for some people with a more uh, hyper-developed or sensitive nervous system or something like that, being exposed to loud noises, like a sensory processing disorder, mm. being exposed to loud noises or the fluorescent lights in school constantly can end up developing a trauma. Yeah. And then if they don't have appropriate community response to process that, it can it can become a, a deeper ingrained trauma response at some point. Yeah. Not to say that fluorescent lights will cause dissociative identity disorder, but if you just it it's hard to know what will generate that in somebody. Yeah. I mean, I don't so much discuss that. I kind of focus on the idea that it's a, it's almost like a kind of arrested development of the mind because we aren't in 
many of not all of them but many of the people i work with are uh, parents and you know I, you brought up the idea of when kids are feeling certain emotions they forget about feeling other emotions in the heat of the moment yeah yeah i use that as an example of the uh, mind not being entirely cohesive as of yet and then i think for another person i had like a stack of books and i spread i kind of line and said this is the child's mind and then i put them in one stack and said this is a healthy adult mind and then i scattered them around the room and said this is a person with did (laughs) (laughs) i actually think that that's that's a pretty good visual it's it's so hard to simplify it into concepts that people can recognize and understand at times yeah yeah no that that was kind of illustrative for that person and they're like oh gosh It can be a lot, but it's also just such a wonderful survival mechanism at times, too, because it can make that individual so adaptive to a variety of situations. I mean, that's kind of what trauma responses are. They're they're adaptations that helped you survive at one point, and then at some point you end up in an environment where it's maladaptive. It's not helping you survive, and that's that's kind of the rough transition, and just getting your mind around there being multiple identities that can be separate from each other in memory and skill sets and perception and stuff, but also get down to the root of how to approach them in a trauma-informed way additionally. Because mm-hmm. you, you can acknowledge like, oh, this personality, that personality likes this, likes that. When this one's out, I'm going to give them pink things. When the other one's out, I'm going to give them purple things. Yeah. But then there's also like the core traumas that each of them might be dealing with or trying to hide. So like as nice as it is to get to know their nice sides, like can you still respond to them in a supportive and loving, understanding way when they're in distress? Yeah. And I think that's one of the good things about people working in schools. We are working towards making them more and more trauma informed. So that has been really good love it and another person who's been very supportive of us is of course our mutual friend ambrosia who's on the same writing project and she has participated in an episode about family breakdowns which was quite interesting that was fun to record yeah and i think it might be interesting to discuss like mental health within armed forces with her down the line because she was in the armed forces over there so Yes, we're going to have her on for additional episodes and topics and use that as a bit of a springboard to invite other guests on to talk about what they're dealing with and share their side, maybe the same topics or different topics. Going on to like people who have been supportive. Yeah. I actually have a friend that I made back when I was doing peer support in online groups with people who had dissociative disorders. So she's been listening to it. Shout out to her on Instagram is Pink Lady Paint. She actually did some fan art while listening to our podcast. And I'm like really touched and I love how it looks. And I'm trying to figure out where we can display it for other people to see. She's been a huge support. She's asked me to update her with the episode. She lets me know when she's been listening. She apologizes to me when she hasn't been listening. And I'm just like, it's a podcast. You can listen to it whenever. You don't have to listen to it right now. It's not live. Yeah, it's not like we're on, um, who is it? 
Yeah, Beansprout, because their free plan is like they're only hosting the things up for 90 days. And I'm like, sod that. <laughs> yeah, I, I would like this to be generally available. And as we produce with more skill, I look forward to seeing and cringing at our previous stuff and then making things that are better than what we did before. Because <laughs> yeah, I think we've we've already talked about that with DID terminology, because I think we listened to it and we were like, oh, God, we were such we're such newbies already. <laughs> Oh gosh, yeah, re-listening to it, I cringed really hard because there was just this point where I dropped three terms I never explained. Never explained these three very, like, uncommon, weird-sounding terms, and I'm just like, oh no, you left the audience hanging. <laughs> <laughs> okay, DID Terminology 2.0, coming out 2022, I guess. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then another like Billy Milligan one, but also like doing uh, other episodes about other famous cases that aren't criminals. Mm. Because like our system is so fussy <laughs> about <laughs> reviewing the system responsibility Billy Milligan episode. So fussy like they've started writing alternate scripts like none of them have gotten finished of course because we can't focus and keep switching but like <laughs> it's uh... a pretty revisited argument in our system about like what kind of stance we should have taken what kind of information we should have provided and <laughs> Now, the thing I like about that episode, which funnily enough, is actually our most listened to one so far. I liked, we were very aiming to be like entry level with it just because it was kind of intending it to be something that was more aimed for something that systems could make singlets listen to, to understand what we're talking about here and, you know, yeah. where this, this altar that hurts people and all this other stuff. And I'd say that because we kind of kept it not too deep and made it very, it's very, very digestible as an episode for someone who might have been walked into this and have no idea what's going on. Yeah. But still being technical enough to kind of say it might give some insight to people who maybe know a little bit. I, I liked the balance on that episode, even if it, we could probably find out that there was more we could go into, but for the people we were aiming that for, I think it did a good job. That's a pretty <laughs> good reflection. Maybe we can use that in future scripts. Yeah, I, I think one thing we probably need to work on is to be more mindful of where we need to be more technical, where we need to be more entry-level friendly. Because I think some episodes will lean more towards people who might have someone they know who has DID or has just opened up to them that they have DID. Or it might be for people who need that validation from other people with the condition and i think being mindful of what each episode leans towards would be an interesting one like we've talked on and off about moon knight and how i think it's more recent portrayals that are kind of showing him with did whereas i think aside from the egyptian moon god he was primarily someone with alter egos rather than alters and for me as someone who kind of understands the condition moderately I would say the alter egos thing is more enticing to me because without these amnesia barriers that alters have, there's this kind of sense of he has to keep track of what he's doing in his different alter egos to keep doing what he's doing. Whereas that goes out the window with DID because of the amnesia barriers and they may not necessarily know what the other, you know, they'll only know what other alters tell them and stuff like that. 
Yeah, we have a script open up and ready to fill out to plan that episode out reviewing Moon Knight, which yeah. is supposed to come out on Disney Plus at some point, but hasn't yet. Yeah, it's been announced for production. I don't know how far it's getting. So it might be a while before that one actually comes out. We might be able to dig out some of the some of the comics to sit can to maybe maybe find some scans of it to see as a discussion point yeah as much as i don't want to give any attention to problematic media i it's kind of becoming apparent to me that reviewing what people have access to currently is really the best approach that we have access to at the moment because there isn't a lot of positive representation to review and discuss and we just finished watching all of what's available of as of mid-september in the u.s of, of doom patrol mm-hmm. which is a dc comic show about this ragtag group of superpowered people who have all been kind of like they stopped aging in like the 60s so there's a lot of history going on and a lot of stuff and one of the characters primary character that basically shows up in every episode throughout the season has dissociative identity disorder and her powers express a particular way through the dissociative identity disorder and there's problematic representation sure uh our system likes how the system portrays themselves and that's going to be a meaty review to do and i think a worthwhile review because i know enough people who watch doom patrol and they do ask me oh have you seen doom patrol or have you seen split is that anything like what you're going through and so i guess the split one is particularly frustrating at, at this point our system is generally frustrated with any representation that is magical mm-hmm. <laughs> or sci-fi transhumanistic in the case of Split, because there are medically recorded and observed incidences of physical differences between identity states, such as allergies, heart conditions, and physical blindness. Just to pull an easy tip, view example with multiplicity and me you can tell that jamie is out because he wears glasses but no one else needs to yeah i can think of three people with did i've known in person because for me for some reason birds of a feather flock together and i will find them in person hello (laughs) (laughs) three that i can think of offhand that i've met in person have had alters with different sight needs and you can google woman with did and blindness and i'm pretty sure that just those keywords will bring up the scientific and medical case studies of a woman let me google her name really quick okay her her name is not declassified um she's just known as bt But you can Google blind woman with DID and find many, many, many articles. And if you know how to dig appropriately, you'll find the scientific ones where she was physically blind, but one of the alters could physically see. And throughout 
therapy and connecting with the altars and generating internal communication, some sight was restored to most of them, if I understand correctly. Yeah. Which is immensely fascinating because I suppose it just kind of shows how powerful the mind can be in these things. That study sort of made me think of a story from the manga Pet Shop of Horrors because there was a girl who was so traumatized by an event where I think it was um, like a robber, a, a violent robbery where she lost her parents, if I recall correctly. And it horrified her so much that she went blind. Yeah, there is actually a field of study that looks at psychosomatic conditions mm. in which your psychological state is generating physical ailments or disabilities. Mm. there's one thing that shows up, I think, in the DSM-4 called conversion disorder. Okay. And that's a psychosomatic disorder in which, like, because of the stress that you're having or a trauma you had, mm. one body part or a section of your body is paralyzed and you can't use it and get it to respond and you don't feel anything, even though there is nothing physically wrong with the nerves connecting. Wow. Yeah, like I said, it's definitely a very fascinating concept. Humans. Fascinating. <laughs> fascinating and frustrating in equal measure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, something I did want to say about like the kind of response we were getting from people close to us or people that we've personally talked to who have been listening to the podcast. Mm -hmm is that um, my mom did listen to some of the episodes in which I do talk about our relationship to each other. And she let me know that like, she hadn't realized that I had thought about things in such a way and that I had really considered like her side and what was happening and how, like how I interpreted the situation in the moment might not have been what was actually happening. And like, just it kind of in a way brought us closer together. I felt like, because she had this insight and even though it's really a heavy topic about what we went through together, like that I still like love and respect her and do my best to understand the humanness that was happening between the both of us. And I don't know, like ever since like our level of communication feels deeper too. And that's, that means a lot to me because I was so scared to talk about my personal experiences with my family and it negatively impacted the people closest to me. I actually, one thing I didn't mention is I don't really have that because as I mentioned, I've cut off my mother and three and my two siblings, but I opened up about this fact on to extend a family and social media back in Easter. And I, I think one of the things I'm proud of myself for that is I didn't lambast my family on social media. Like I didn't say, give specific memories that would have torn the family apart. And I do have memories like that. But I think being able to process things both with Apollo and with you has helped me kind of pull away from the stress enough to kind of nip any further in the bud. And that was the point of that. So it was just to say, look, I know some of us will want to reconnect with our extended family as the possibility of this happening comes closer and closer. And I just want you to let you know that, no, I am not talking to my mother and my siblings. 
I'm doing this for my mental health. I gave examples of the things that were going wrong with my mental health, but I didn't point to memories as to where this might have come from. And I said, I am in therapy. I've given my dad the guidelines that I require to open the doors. I want to have a relationship with you guys. I am not going to stop you from having a relationship with them. All I'm asking for is to respect this fact and factor it into any seating plans you might have to make. And I haven't had any responses to it from my parents' generation, but some of my cousins came forward and said, that was really brave. I had no idea you were going through all that. And another person was actually my mother's best friend. Um, her daughter came forward and said I was brave for that. And yeah, in fact, we exchanged numbers on WhatsApp as well. So there you go. And, you know, in a way, there is a catharsis in doing the podcast for me as well, because talking to you as someone who's got the dissociation in its own way and kind of taking, comparing notes, having these resources that, and passing that forward, I think is really validating for me because I am a very kind of service-driven person. So I think that really helps me out on an emotional level. Yeah, us too. Getting the feedback on social media and in emails and from personal friends and stuff about how we can improve and what they liked and, and what they took from it is major feedback because I we're pretty service driven too. And whenever we make something, like even though we're artists it, to a degree, like if we give something to somebody else, we want it to be utilitarian. Yeah. We don't want it just to be a decoration that gathers dust. We want it to be something that they can genuinely use in their life and benefit from. Mm. So this podcast in a way is, is actually something that friends have been asking from me for quite some time. Like the people mm. who know me personally and talk to me and, and learn from the things that I've learned for, because if the topic comes up, I can't shut my mouth anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you can say things in one sentence. Oh, that was in this episode. That was in that episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't go from this long lecture to like one sentence there for people to look into later. Yeah, I could do that for sure. <laughs> like, oh, I covered this in depth and I'm actually pretty proud of every way that I worded it. So go check. Yeah. Ch I'll send you the link. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely been a fascinating exercise for me as well. So if like, for example, I think one in nine of our listenership, uh, as far as the last time I looked at it, used like a smart speaker, like Alexa to listen to us. So it's like, oh, maybe they have it playing in their kitchen while they're cooking or something like that. It's just like, that sounds really cool. That does sound really cool. One feedback that we got is that somebody really, like, not one person. I, I got it from, like, about three different people said that they really like our flow of conversation and, like, our different tones of voice and stuff like that, that it makes yeah. it easier for them to pay attention to go from, like, your accent and high tone voice to uh, my accent and my low tone voice. Mm. Which is, you know, I was kind of hoping that we would have that dynamic, that it would help people to tune in a little bit better and to enjoy listening, to have two pleasant-ish sounding voices. I, I, I don't know if you've gotten that compliment before that your voice sounds really nice, but. So uh, someone on the Discord forum, we're both, sorry, I say forum, one, someone on a Discord server we're both on has said that they would, wouldn't mind me reading like a novel of some kind as an audiobook. <laughs> I remember that now. Yeah. 
So because mine is a bit on the high side, especially if I get like high pitched, like especially high and excitable, I have heard some people say like if I get too excitable, I can be a bit headache inducing. But um, oh no. so the fact that so the fact that I've had that or it was I can't even remember who that was anymore. So and I know um, Apollo has said that I've got just the right pitch that when he's got a migraine, it kind of it's a bit can be a bit painful but um i think that's probably just down to him as an individual yeah um, that doesn't translate in recording by the way like i don't find your voice headache inducing in any way even when you've been mm. anxious so <laughs> yeah i know i can be a bit too fast if i'm excitable or panicky sometimes but i am working on that oh yeah i have a rapid speech issue i definitely sometimes intentionally slow myself down for the podcast because I know that like some information will just come out way too fast for people to to really hear it. And then when I'm in personal groups, I have a volume control issue. Either I'm talking way too quiet or I'm talking way too loud and everybody thinks I'm yelling. So Yeah, I've had that. But there are some things that we've done to like adjust our voice for the recording. And I do like that we use the Audacity program can help you change the pitch in small ways too. All I was going to say is when it comes to feedback and stuff, you know, if anyone wants to give us feedback, we're on Twitter, we've got email, everything's in the link tree. Hit us up, basically. Yeah, <laughs> fragmentedmindspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. We will apply the feedback as we can. We already have one listener let us know that not everybody is tuned into our social media, so we're going to make more of an effort to include recent updates and changes to our episodes yeah and because we're just two people doing everything um if you can think of tips to help us improve and let you know constructive feedback is always welcome that's how i roll <laughs> i don't think that the episodes that we've recorded yet with the better equipment have been released yet this will probably be the first episode because we're pushing this one ahead of the line as like a reflection on what we've been doing in the past two months how the podcast has been going yeah. updates in the background of why we've slowed down to one episode a month for now yeah sorry guys <laughs> it's okay i think I think the timing is probably really good because our system is going to go through these these seasonal issues that we, we go through. So I feel like we have a dedicated listenership. I have people who check in with me very frequently about the episodes. Mm. So I'm not too worried about losing everyone. And I know that when we're in a better place, we're going to make more frequent content because it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think the fact we record weekly will help balance things out. Once we're both in a good, really good rhythm, we tend to build a buffer anyway because we do try to record weekly, even if we only put episodes out every two weeks. That helps build the buffer for when either of us are feeling unwell or if um, we hit seasons where things are going horribly wrong. And like I said, I think because it's a slog and because I felt like, you know, I'm out of the house 10 hours a week at the moment. 10 hours a week, 10 hours a day on the on Monday to Friday. So getting my brain around editing sometimes is a bit of a slog. So I will apologize for that one too. I'm doing the best I can. And hopefully when things get moving and I can just knuckle down and I can get oh, like a whole bunch of them out of the park. Yeah, we'll get back into the flow. We had a really good flow, but things had to slow down because 
we had personal changes, you know? Yeah. And well, yeah, we have had and we're going to have. So, yeah, like this 2021 has been a very, very interesting year. And it looks like that's not going to change. Nah. Life just just gets progressively more interesting as we get older. Cool way of looking at it. Are there any things that you wish that you had known when you started that you've learned since or wish that you had done better when you started? Listening to some of the earlier recordings and the stuff on the cutting room floor, I definitely do not cap I definitely have started to catch myself a bit better when I stumble my words or get my tongue tied and stuff. Definitely the I think that was probably one of the things that did not help me with early episode editing is just the fact that I kept stumbling so much and I'm just cringing inside. <laughs> Yeah, there is something about listening to your own voice, especially when you're struggling to get the words out, like just that residual embarrassment shows back up. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's the thing, because I've done 99% of the edit. Well, I say 99, but you know, what I mean, I've done the lion's share of the editing. So I think the only time you heard that was with Rogue. So <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, now, in case anyone knows, we do put the I, we do set aside the um, pits, snip, fun snippets from the cutting room floor on Patreon. Um, I ended up with two from that episode where like, we ended up talking about Mythbusters and another one where we talked about a pair of serial killers from, Scots, from Scotland. <laughs> I don't remember this. Um, <laughs> a few things that like I wish I had known better or had like done better was like how to write out a script for the kind of content that we're trying to cover in an episode and like knowing the amount of time things are going to take like the amount of like what kind of scheduling we need to do to get the full episode recorded and to do the talking before and after to make sure things are like all in a row and like the amount of time it takes to do social media managing our system has given up on instagram for the moment for personal reasons and just trying to make like a post once a day or once every other day was so much energy and effort (laughs) and really took up a lot of time like because we would make we figured like the best thing to do would be make like quick little informational stuff but just making the slides we use canva.com to to create the slides on there and figuring out how to condense the information because we're more prone to writing essays as you know (laughs) yeah yeah no i think that it's definitely getting the hang of canva's been an interesting concept it's fun but yeah we definitely have a lot to understand and i think because we're both visual tactile in nature it's kind of reading the theory doesn't quite stick the same way as experience so that's definitely something we do need to work with definitely for sure I look forward to the place where we can redo episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe after we've been on air for a year, we can well, we can start redoing them and revisiting concepts if, if we didn't think we did too well with them. Yeah, if our giant backlog of topics doesn't eat that first. <laughs> Do you really want to get me started on that? And we have like three pages of topic ideas. <laughs> Yeah. Mental health in the patient's chair, people. It's a hoot. (laughs) Well, we're so diverse. And then there's also like covering like the different cultural differences as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Is there anything in particular that you're looking forward to with the podcast from where we've been from and how things have gone so far? So I think that the thing I'm looking forward to most was probably going to be hearing more about how different episodes have helped other people, whether it's defining validation or to help them validate someone they know with some manner of dissociative disorder or mental health condition. You know, it might be the case that hearing from some particular story kind of makes people think, oh gosh, that's what this was about. And, you know, maybe helps others redeem. Like you commented earlier about this um, helping build a deeper connection between yourself and your mum. If we found out that there were more stories like that going around, I would be over the moon. You know, I might be an estranged adult child myself, but if I can help other people avoid the same fate, I would be happy as anything. And I suppose the other thing would be like getting to the point where we can regularly include guests where even if we end up like releasing the episode six months later sort of thing it's just i think that it would help diversify the stories and voices and the experiences as you said because my experiences do not override anyone else's and i think this is something that i think a lot of people sometimes people get so hooked up in what they've gone through and the worst parts and or like their or people they identify with that they forget that there's always another side to the story. And I don't want to be one of those people. I suppose that's one of the reasons why I kind of try to set the boundaries about certain topics. It's not so much that I don't believe the person to be malicious or kind of seeking to hurt me. It's just the fact that because I am the accumulation of my own experiences and my experiences taught me that just because on the facet someone has X doesn't mean that they always reflect on what's going on behind closed doors, you know? Yeah. Like. That's a pretty important element I'm looking forward to, too, like having the guests yeah. on in alternative perspectives, because our system comes from our own set of experiences and perspectives, and we, we do kind of sometimes have a pretty rigid idea about things, but we also value being open-minded. And we also know that just because we had a certain experience and we learned that this means that, or that there's there's scientific evidence for this thing, doesn't mean that that's another experience someone else has had. You know, they might've had an experience that says that that scientific thing is impossible to experience. Yeah. Um, and like just being able to openly discuss and share where different people come from and how they came to their experiences, I think is a way to generate critical thinking for other people, which, which can help others or generate more open-mindedness and, and broader perspective because there's only so much one person can experience. Yeah. Maybe, you know, let us know in email. <laughs> I have to reach out. No, we don't bite. We know what it's like to be bitten. <laughs> anyway, um, and I think on that, that's probably a good note to wrap up with. So we hope you've been enjoying Fragmented Minds so far and you'll continue to do so. I can assure you we have a lot of juicy uh, episodes on the back burner waiting for editing and all this other good stuff. And yeah, 
Thank you for sticking else? with us this this long so far. You know, these these past couple of months, it's been wonderful getting feedback from all of you um, that have been able to provide us feedback. And, you know, we we're looking forward, obviously, to to providing more and hearing from you. And I, you know, I feel like I've said it all <laughs> already. <laughs> yeah. Well, as and of course, as I mentioned, you're set to appear in Mad Media Podcast when they launch. And if you want to catch me chatting about JRPGs and similar off-piste gaming, I occasionally appear on Game & Watch podcasts. So yeah, we are diversifying and we're finding ways to network. So, you know, if you want to catch us there or catch us here, bring it on. <laughs> all right. Thank you all so much for listening. This has been a reflection of being on air for over a month. This is uh, the Xanity System signing off. And this has been Celine Ian coming from London. See you next time. Thanks again for listening to Fragmented Minds. The mental health podcast from the patient's chair. Hosted and produced by Celine. And the Xanity System. Music by Purple Planet. For resources and sources, check our show notes. Have a great day and see you next time.